Welcome back to Trojan Talk. You know, sometimes things just work out, Adam. We were already meeting for a podcast today, and then news happens. We'll get into it. But first, how are you? How are you today? I'm good. I'm doing well. I'm, uh, when you say work out, what about Matt Fink? Well, I mean, I, I see how that came off wrong, but my intention was to say that we should be doing a podcast to react to this, and it just so happened we were already planning to do one. Yeah, so, I know. I know you're genuine. No, no offense to, to Matt Fink, and we wish him the best in his, in his future endeavors, and we'll get into all that. Yeah, Matt Fink is transferring. You might not know that when you hear this because it just really came out now. As I was driving to USC, we learned that he was leaving. Yeah, and, and so let's start there. I mean, it's it's not a major surprise to anybody, I, I don't think. If you were watching no. USC spring practice, you've been following this program, you kind of know where things stand. Um, going into the spring, everyone was wondering, is Jack Sears going to have a chance to unseat JT Daniels? As spring progressed, there was a lot of buzz for Keaton Slovis. Um, all those factors worked together you could have even wondered if Matt Fink was maybe the fourth best option for this team. Your, your sources told you that he was told he was third on the depth chart. On a post-spring depth chart, he was informed uh, that he would be third if USC were playing again this weekend, which was obvious to me. I released a projected depth chart. Uh, it's, there's nothing official out there. It's really just Clay relaying to the team where they stood at their respective positions but as you alluded to, I feel like, if we're being honest, going into the year, I could see Fink even being fourth. Uh, now that the redshirt rule has changed and you can play without burning it, if for some reason JT and Jack Sears both were unavailable, depending on the situation, I could see Keaton Slovis playing. And, and, not, and they, they want to protect that redshirt. But if it were a short-term thing, I could see him being a guy. And Fink was the fourth-best quarterback in practice. We, we can debate about the top three and, and who, who we thought did what, but I don't think there's much debate that, that he was fourth. Yeah, and, and we can acknowledge that coming out of camp last August, he was named number two. He was officially the backup. And, and and that had us wondering like what what they were looking at and why it it did and then uh, that held true though when JT was knocked out of the Utah game Fink yep. came in finished that game of course uh, broke his ribs and uh, Jack Sears hit the start the next week but the offense has changed and I think the move to this version of the air raid whatever you want to call it uh, heavy emphasis on the pass and Graham Harrell acknowledging openly that mobility or, or being able to get rushing yards from the quarterback is a very secondary thought to him. It's not something that he necessarily values in that position. Well, that's maybe Fink's greatest strong suit. So all these factors just continued to mount and make it more clear that this was maybe not the best situation for him moving forward or not a conducive situation for him to get on the field. Yeah, I mean, he's put himself in a good situation in that he's about to graduate. He's been here yes. for three years. He came in the spring of 2016, and like a lot of his classmates, 
who aren't involved in any real rotation, uh, he's set himself up academically to go elsewhere, and he'll have two years to play, and he can play immediately. And so we should applaud him for that. Uh, really good kid. I really liked talking to him. Uh, I thought he was very competitive, and you appreciated his presence out there on the practice field. And I know he was well-liked you know, in that locker room. But if we're just talking about competition and pecking order and playing time, he was not going to be a factor. And that's just where, where it was for him. And so that's why it shouldn't be a surprise. And I also don't feel like it really has any great importance uh, for the fall. You know, him not being, you know, available to them. Well, I'm going to piggyback off, off your softer comments as I maybe came off a little blunt. It's it's always an asset to have a guy with experience who's been in the program to have that depth. You'd rather have four scholarship QBs than three. Like, crazy things happen. I'm well, a University of, Mar- University of Maryland graduate. I think it was like four years ago. They went through seven quarterbacks. They were playing a freshman linebacker at quarterback by the end of the year. So you'd always rather have that depth. Yeah. And it's not that you couldn't put him out there and have some confidence that he could do something. So, uh, How much would you have, though? I, I mean, he's been in the program, but he hasn't been in this offense. It's a new offense. I, I would not look at him as you know the, <laughs> the de facto starter as a promising development. No. I mean, obviously, to, to get to that point, you would have had three quarterbacks get hurt. In, right. In I mean, that, that, that's us saying that Keating would be play ahead of him. And that's really the point here, is that he was at the bottom. Right. I, I just wanted to solve us off my initial yeah, yeah. blunt comments and say, clearly it was an asset. I was just giving you a hard time. It, it was an asset having no, him in the program. but We keep it real on the show. Yeah. But and, and while he was a great kid, he it, was their fourth best quarterback. It, it had become clear that there was not a likelihood of him playing. No, they, he'd only play if they, if they had to have someone else play. But I, I really think that Keating actually – likely would have surpassed him this fall if they were all in the same roster and Keating could avoid playing more than four games. Well, yeah, I mean, this this offense really um, is catered to passing quarterbacks, yeah. crisp passers, and Keaton Slow was, I think, impressed all of us this spring with his mechanics, his accuracy, his arm strength. He made mistakes. He made some wrong reads. He's young. But when you're just looking at him as a passer, if, if you were going to – Put the QBs in in a in a passing like a Pro Bowl passing drills competition. You'd feel pretty good about Keaton Slovis with his skill set. You wouldn't necessarily feel as good about Matt thinking that way, and that's why his portfolio of skills was augmented by his rushing ability. And if that's not something that Graham Harrell really wants out of that position, then that only further separates things with the other guys. Right, and I, I think at this point it'd be more productive to really look at the QB race moving forward and what USC is working with because there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions about what happened in spring mm-hmm. or, or where things stand now. Uh, I can only give you my vantage point because it's not like the coaches are going to go on the record with exactly how they see each individual with respect to one another. You know, they, they paint it as this open competition, and they did divide the reps four ways, although you saw first-team reps primarily go to JT, and then the other guys got, you know, a few sprinkled in. 
from time to time, and in performance fluctuated as well throughout spring. JT Daniels, in my eyes, is the clear starter on this football team. I don't think that there's really going to be this elongated fall competition. They might open with one and then say that there's one taking place, but I feel like they've already determined, at least internally, if not publicly, that he'll be their, their starting quarterback to begin the season. And then from there, I think that, of course, he has a lot to prove. They, none of them are proven. But going into training camp and, and into the season, really, I, I don't think anything's going to change in fall camp. I think we made the point before. It was it's kind of like a like a boxing title fight. Like you you have to beat. You have to knock out the champ. Yeah. So Jack did not knock him out in spring. He he didn't. And and there's a lot of people who are very frustrated by. They thought that we were being sold this open competition, and it wasn't that. I never had any sense that this spring was going to be anything more than it was, for a number of reasons. A, they were so hyper focused on the simplification of everything and we're back to the basics and we're focusing on fundamental technique. We're focusing on QB footwork. You know, this wasn't 15 practices of, of scrimmage reps um, trying to decide who had the better completion percentage in, in live action. It was a very simple spring. And beyond that, there was nothing really to learn with no healthy defensive backs. I mean, what are you really going to learn from that anyway? Even if you had scrimmage for an hour every practice and charted everything, what are you really taking away from that when you're throwing against walk-ons or your your best cornerbacks in the spring are Greg Johnson, got a lot to prove, and then a redshirt freshman who didn't play last year, Taylor Stewart, and Britton Allen, a guy who came in as a safety and is a true freshman. And Dominic Davis, who was only available for half of it and has yet to play defense for this football team. Yeah, so there really wasn't anything to be learned in in the competition aspect. And I, I know that uh, midway through spring, we weren't seeing many deep routes really in live reps. And Michael Pittman pretty much said, well, yeah, I mean, that's going to be there when the time comes. Right now we're focused on our hot routes and, and we have things that are more pressing to work on this spring. This was about building a foundation with this offense, not cater to, okay, Who's better between these two guys in every aspect? Right. Well, and you mentioned two guys because it's perceived that JT and Jack are competing, but I don't see it that way. I feel like JT's kind of competing with himself to just be a better quarterback. I totally agree. Uh, the the outside perception was that there was this two man race, and the expectation was, was yeah. That. And I mean, I've written about it, I've talked about it, I've maybe lobbied for it because I thought that there should be a two man competition. That was just my personal yeah. feeling about it, but I never did characterize it as being a two man competition. In fact, I went out of my way to clarify that there was not a two man competition taking place. I've seen what those look like. In fact, there was one a few years back between Max Brown and Sam Darnold where even though our boy Matt Fink was in spring practice and in training camp, was not involved in that two-man competition. But right now, with the way the reps were going, I know that they were even. They were even because they were running more plays and they had, they had the, you know, the the volume to to divide four ways. You're not going to just give it all to like one guy, but 
uh, in training camp, that's where you're going to see those first team reps matter more yeah. and, and go to the quarterback or quarterbacks that matter. For, for those that didn't come out and watch spring ball, they were even in the sense that every series a new Q- QB rotated in. Yeah. So it wasn't JT out there for 30 straight minutes at right. that point. Every series they were changing up, whether you were playing with a team of, of walk-ons or with the first team uh, wideouts, you know, is the point. Yeah, but, but I mean, competition would lean toward a select, you know, couple between that, that whole group. And that never happened. It, there was never a time where JT and Jack got the, the bulk of the reps. Right. And, and we'll be able, able to tell this August because Harold said that, I think he even said, you'll, yeah. you'll be able to tell. You'll be able to tell. Because of the first team reps, we're going to, you know, we're going to favor our our starting quarterback. So now, now what can happen, though, well, I totally agree with you that JT is going to be the quarterback of this team. And even when we argued about this or debated about this last fall, I, I've always been on in that camp that he... That he was better. That he was the right guy. Right. But... Even that we, we agree on this now, what can happen in August is that Jack impresses the coaches enough and closes that gap to the point where JT's leash is lesser yeah. going into the fall. That's about the most I think he can accomplish in training camp. And if if Graham Harrell is going to have any degree of autonomy in this offense, and let's say they go out and have another disastrous start, they start one and two, one and three, at that point... If Jack Sears has had a good August, a good fall camp, and Graham Harrell feels that there is not a huge drop-off between them or that he is capable of running right. his offense the way he wants it run, then that's the value you can take away from August. Um, I don't see JT I don't see JT falling on his face, really opening the door. No. He, he's going to be fine. It would take an injury. In practice. The only way that he's not starting to begin the year would be injury. That's the only way. I'm telling you right now. No, exactly, because there's very little variable in what you get from him on the practice field. You, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be pretty good. It's going to be solid. He knows the offense. He's going to distribute the ball, be accurate, all of that. He's not going to give an opening for this to change. But if Jack Sears can really impress in August, then maybe that conversation continues into the fall if JT doesn't carry it from the practice field to the game field. Now, I do want to talk about how they performed. And, uh, you know, we were here. We were here the entire six weeks. There was a spring break, but we were here for all of it. And there's been a little bit of a, I feel like a little bit of backlash about how he played because of the way maybe some people characterized it among USC media on Twitter. How did you feel about how, you know, let's look at, we, we talked about Keaton, we, we know where he stands, and he looks like he's got a bright future, but that future is not today. With JT and Jack, how did you feel each performed? I thought JT just looked very confident and in control. I think he grasped what they're doing very quickly, which again, it's not a very complicated offense, so that's not a major accomplishment. But he, he just looked in command and in control to me. Um, he had some days where he made some bad decisions and threw some picks, and it wasn't like he was suddenly a, a flawless decision maker. But watching him, I could kind of project and see what this offense could look like in the fall with him in control of it and feel good about that. Even I mentioned this on the last podcast. Even some of the times when, when he was with the walk-ons, and I'm thinking, like, what is even the point of this rep? He was making, he was dropping dimes and making spot-on passes. Uh I don't. I don't know that Jack Sears is ever going to be that player in practice. I don't think you're ever going to just, just see him, 
look that smooth and uh, and be that smooth of a distributor. The last week, though, he had a couple nice passes downfield in the final practices, and you still see that potential he has. I just think there's a consistency you get out of JT that probably is what separates him in, in the coach's eyes. And the first thing that I would point to if I was going to say, well, why is he the best guy for this this job? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that, really. I thought that Jack had his best week in Week 5, and because I, I try to grade them each week, I felt like in that week he was their best quarterback. Uh, I felt like JT was probably their best quarterback for like three of the other weeks. There was one week where they both struggled, Jack and JT, and I gave the nod to Fink in that week. I thought he had a nice week, and it, it wasn't anything spectacular, but he just played better than his peers in that week. And each week is three practices. Mm-hmm. It's a very small sample size. But uh, while Jack, I thought, performed well and had some bright spots in the the live settings, but not always. He also threw the pick to Drake Jackson. Uh, I think you hit it on the head where you don't get that consistency from him. You get some nice playmaking. Uh, he's maybe more exciting at times because there's a spontaneity to his game. But practice doesn't really push him or bring out the best in him. And... and while you can defend it if you're playing weekly, you know, on Saturdays, then it doesn't really matter. I remember Sam Darnold after, really after he got out of that competition with Max Brown, was just all right in practice once he became the starter. And maybe he let up, I don't know. I didn't really read too much into it. Although after a while when the offense started struggling, you maybe you, you look at it more and place more value on it. But my point is, clearly uh, his instincts would take over in games. And in practice, they're not totally activated because the rush is not real, the pass rush. And, and you're not going to actually be sacked. And you're not really looking to run because that's not going to be productive for, for everyone involved, for all parties. you got to get the ball out. And there were even still times in 7-on-7 seven seven where Jack didn't get the ball out. Because he's looking for something that in a game setting would make sense because, you know, he's buying time or what have you. But that's not what they're looking for in that particular period. And so JT's game, I think, is so much better suited for practice. And perhaps in games, I'm not saying one way or the other on that front right now. But he's a better practice player. And that's kind of all that that we're going off of right now. That's all the coaches are going to really be going off of right now. And and Jack is just not as good in practice. With all that said, I'm not convinced either way who the better quarterback is or who will be the better quarterback once the games come. And that's where I've been pretty much since Jack got to play. After watching him play, I realized, and in, and in watching JT finish the season the way he did, where he continued to be up and down, and it was rather unremarkable in a couple of those games, Oregon State, Cal, and in the second half of both UCLA and Notre Dame, I realized, you know what, I need to see both of them play more. You just wanted to see more of Jack. So well, I mean, a lot more of Jack, yeah. because, but I mean... It, you, you, you don't have another team to, to put him on sure. and, and let him play games with, so it's complicated. You, 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 you have to pick one, you know, you, unless you're going to rotate both of them, which they're not going to do, and I don't know that that's the best option either. But uh, it, So therefore, 
it, it's not an easy strategy, I think, moving forward. And, and if you're going to look at practice, then JT is better in practice. I'll tell you that. Even as someone that thinks that Jack might be the better quarterback, if you watch Glenn Bolton practice, you will not think that. Let me build off that point, and I'm going to go back to last August. I know that should be irrelevant right now, but this will make sense. What stood out the most to me watching them in fall camp last year was JT looked poised and decisive, and I never saw that, or I never felt confident in that from the other two quarterbacks, including Sears. And a comment that Graham Harrell made last week triggered that back for me. And I think he said it was when you asked him about about mobility? Yeah, the value of a running quarterback. And he kind of dismissed it as not really an essential need. And he mentioned that, you know, Jack has the ability to get out of the pocket and make plays, but sometimes he's looking to do that too much. And, and he'll, he'll pull it down too soon right. and do that. And, and that's kind of what I felt going back all the way to last summer. And first impressions go a long way. So when we debated this through last season, I just kept coming back to this first impression I made about – this guy is so much more decisive and comfortable when the bullets are flying in terms of decision making than the other guy. I think the re- as a thrower, as a thrower, I think the reason why many fans jumped on the Jack Sears should play bandwagon was because you came away from that Arizona State game picturing two plays: the long throw the Vaughns that he dropped in the end zone, yeah, and then the other long throw the Vaughns that he caught. And those were two on-the-money deep passes. And by that point, fans had enough uh, film in their head of JT being a little bit off on his deep throws. And I think Jack really benefited from a small sample size, whereas JT was more easy to pick apart from a larger sample size. You could be right. When I, I, I th- thought of that. I, I saw moments all along with if, JT. If Jack had played half the year and JT played half the year, I don't know that Jack Tapier would be better. And, and, and I don't either. I don't either. But in terms of reception, it was a lot easier to pick apart JT because yeah. you had all this, this games, these games to pull from. All along, I, I saw the, the underthrows on deep passes or being off of the mark. I also saw moments all along that reaffirmed what I thought his potential was. Yeah. And I guess I, I maybe had just a different calibration of expectation for him as a true freshman. And so I, I, I never thought that he was so far off track for what he's going to be going well, through that. you have the benefit of watching practice just like Clay Helton does, right? And I, I sometimes I wonder, uh, as you talk about it and knowing where Clay Helton stands in the matter, although I, I will tell you I do not think he's forcing this decision upon Graham Harrell, but... Um, really, with respect to last year, I feel like when you watch them practice, you're going to come away thinking that JT is markedly better than Jack. That's the conclusion that you're going to draw in practice. And then once you draw that conclusion, it would be hard to go back on it. I, I think it, 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 would, it would take a lot to change one's mind when you watch them day in and day out. I, I think that's a, a perfect summation of kind of the way I felt going through last year. Yeah. and it, So I understand that I, where I did kind of branch out and defer, because, I mean, if you remember, I'm the one that wrote JTKO. I felt like he knocked the competition out mm-hmm. in training camp after one week and proved that he should start the season. Yeah. When, where, where things changed for me was the fact that he – 
didn't really improve as the year went on. I know a lot of people were hanging on this first half versus Notre Dame, which if the offense, I guess, were to resemble that, then, you know, there's logic in that. But if you look at the, the body of work in the second half of the year, he wasn't really better than he was early in the year. I mean, he was really good versus Washington State, um, the first half of the Arizona game, uh, the opener. I, I felt like, you know, even even the, the Texas and Stanford games, which were really hard for the team and for the offense, I felt like like he was a warrior out there. You know, he, he kind of took it. I mean, he got beat up in those games, and maybe they affected him later. I don't know. But uh, he stood in there and, and, and got back up every time. And so I had a pretty strong impression of him early in the year. This was not something that I had all in my mind all along that, you know, I think Jack is actually the better quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't believe it until I saw Jack play, and then I saw JT get the job back and then struggle again. And that's where I've kind of stood for the last half year. And, and practice is not going to change my mind, really. I think I just have to watch them play games again before I would say definitively that this guy's better than that guy. But if I learned one thing this spring about the whole situation, it was that conversation with Graham Harrell where, again, I I had my suspicions, but I wanted to just kind of asked him point blank because I felt like he's been very straightforward with us. And I, I did ask him, you know, how much do you value mobility, you know, in a quarterback? Because I kind of been working off the Cliff Kingsbury paradigm where you look at who he's worked with and a lot of those guys, either they were a dual threat quarterback or they had a, a really high functioning mobility. That would be in the, in the vein of Jack Sears. I'm talking about like Case Keenum, uh, or, or Baker Mayfield, right? They're not runners, but they can move and, and they can be shifty. So this entire time, and, it, and I think a part of that is because initially Cliff Kingsbury was going to be the offensive coordinator and he made the point that we're going to have an open competition and I want to identify our starting quarterback from scratch. So I figured that Harrell was coming from that place, um, not just with... You know, from the ground up with a new quarterback or with a uh, you know with a new, uh, the open competition, but just with the the mobile like quarter, I I figured that he would like that and the ability to extend plays in that vein, and he kind of dismissed it, you know, and quote unquote he said it's an added benefit, but here's the deal: if you got a quarterback, I don't want that guy taking too many of them hits. They're going to take plenty of hits throwing the football. So he, he actually discouraged it in a sense. Now, n- not that he wouldn't appreciate someone that could maybe get out of the pocket and, and, and throw on the run, but he doesn't want them maybe running or crossing the line of scrimmage. And that's something that, that Jack will do where, where JT needs to be more mobile but is not looking to run really ever. The way I interpret that is is not – even that he doesn't want them doing that, it's that that's not what the offense is. I, yeah. w- I want you to get rid of this ball as quick as possible to the first open guy you see. Yeah, and he said this outright. Yeah. I was going to continue on, but he okay, said, yeah. at the end of the day, we're asking that guy to make a lot of decisions and win with his arm. Right. And uh, when, when he laid all that out, I just felt like he was indirectly saying, JT is our starting quarterback, and this is why. 
I don't think he wants his quarterbacks holding on to the ball long enough to even have to think about running. I think he want, he's, he's saying, we're going to have somebody open. We have the playmakers. Someone's going to be open. You find them and find them quickly and let them catch the ball in space and make plays with it. And I, I think it really suits JT's game. I, that's why well, I he's a better thrower. That's why I, I don't even know. There's not even a debate on that. Right. He's a better thrower. I don't even know how relevant last year is at this point. I know. Maybe, yeah, you're right. Maybe that sounds crazy to say to some people because you can't just dismiss what a guy did. We saw it on film. But it's a different offense. And let's make one more point on. Yeah, I mean, Jack, <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm going to agree with you. I think Jack actually or probably was a better fit in last year's offense. Than this one. Sure. And maybe better than JT for that offense. Now, if I'm wrong, correct me. But first of all, I think last year's offense undermined a lot of things, including JT. Jack's lone start, they went to a simplified game plan mm-hmm. tailored around what he liked in the offense. Which is something that you should do for your quarterback right. week in and week right. out, not just because you're playing the third string guy. So that was one. Why wasn't it simplified for JT either? So that was one <laughs> deviation from this flawed offense. Yeah. And the other we keep hearing about is the, the Notre Dame game and how they did things a little differently. And, and for JT. And what happened? That was one of his best games of the season, yeah. if not the, his best game. The first game. half, yeah. The first half, yeah. yeah. So I, those points to me continue to underscore this was a flawed offense last year. And they're in a much better place systemically now that I, I don't even want to, you know, pull what I saw there and apply it to what we're going to see here because it's just so different. It's night and day. Well, going back to last year, they never really had a complete game on offense. Every game was really like a great half. <laughs> Whether it was JT or the one for Jack, mm-hmm. they were all great halves. Yeah, no, true. I mean, I can't think of a game that JT had that he was great the entire way through. I will offer the caveat here that we are giving um, a lot of benefit of the doubt to Graham Harrell. We are assuming this system is going to work, and, and I am. I'm a believer. I think it is. But everything we're saying is kind of uh, making that assumption, first of all, that this is going to work and this is going to be an upgrade. That's, yeah. my, that's my thought, but you know, we'll start to see it happen in the fall. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to believe that. Uh, he's definitely convincing me that this offense is trending upward. And, and again, once he kind of broke it down, I felt like, well, then J.K. is the, the guy that you want out there. It, if that's the, what you value and that's how you imagine the quarterback playing, then that's who I would pick. In for for this kind of offense, and again, it's something that we we just we couldn't totally tell throughout spring because you know they have their scrimmages and they have live periods, but that competition is just so far apart from a, a real game. And and I already kind of know how JQ practices, and I know how how Jack performs in practice. And we have an idea how he performs in games, and we have a better idea how JT performs in games. But to hear Graham define the offense in this way, I think it's pretty clear what the the more valuable traits are in a quarterback. Well, you know, going back to this this uh, the practice variance before Jack start last year, I talked to his high school coach, and he even made the point. He goes. You know, it's hard for a guy like Jack or a guy like Sam to really show what he can do in practice because the minute 
uh, the Panther gets close, the play is whistled dead. Whereas they, of, they thrive off of that. W- yeah. W- w- one of his major assets and strengths is his ability to create plays in those situations. And you know, you don't see that in the practice field. And this is his high school coach even saying that you, you're not going to see him be his full self on the practice field. But once he gets into a game, you're going to see it. And we kind of did, but that's, that's a, Acknowledgement from someone who coached him, you know, before he got here, that, that, that that's what this guy is, and that's what he's been here. And your point's exactly right. It, on the practice field, there's going to be a clear separation between those two. Yeah, I actually had a chance to talk to Jack last week one on one, and uh, I thought it was a pretty good conversation because um, I was straightforward with him, and I asked him about you know about the competition, and he he was hopeful. But, you know, he didn't know. He just didn't know what, you know, where things stood. And he felt like he had performed pretty well. And I agree. I think he performed well. I think that, uh, you know, he maybe he was a bit more consistent than he had been in the past, right, than, than he was, like, last training camp. So there's been some maturing on the practice field. I, I wouldn't... I want to characterize it like he's in the same place. But I told him, because I, I felt comfortable with him in, in this instance, I told him, I said, you know, sometimes I watch you and I feel like you're not getting the ball out as quick as maybe they want you to because you know that you can kind of rely on your lower body and you could buy yourself time and you're looking for a better play. And... <laughs> He told me that's definitely a good observation. He just totally, you know, confirmed that that's what he's doing. He's like, I got to get the ball a little bit quicker. Like, it, that's what they want. That's what they're looking for. But I'm confident in my arm. I feel like I could make a play downfield uh, or if I have to with my legs. So he was trying to work on that in terms of just not breaking plays and running. And I, I, I think he did. I don't think he ran a lot this spring. He ran some, and he's going to run more than, than JT will. But... I think he was even looking for plays downfield, and he hit on a couple of them. We saw that, you know, later in spring, and he, he did very well. He did perform well, but he's maybe not an ideal fit for this offense. Or or his best traits do not maybe align with what the offense is asking for. Even st- still, and to go back to our initial talking point here, I feel pretty good about this depth chart, this QB depth chart. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I mean, obviously. So the, the depth chart I put out, it's it projected. Yeah. I said JT's one, Jack is two. There's no or there. I, I think it's one, two, clear. And then I, I mentioned at the top of the show that you know Fink came out third. Uh, that's what he was told. That's what I had him projected as. But even then, I felt like he might not really be third uh, in the long run. But uh, if we're looking at the top two, it, I don't think there's a a close gap there. I think that it's one firmly and, and that one is basically going to be the starter barring injury at the beginning of the year. And, and then maybe Jack can shorten that leash with a great training camp. Yeah, for sure. What I'm saying though is you have to feel good about what you have. If you're high on JT's potential like I am, then you have a lot of confidence in what he can do this year. I'm also confident in Jack, though. If 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 it came to you're more confident than maybe before. I don't know that I was ever not confident in Jack. I just always felt that JT was the better option mm-hmm. or had the higher upside. 
But I've never thought that if you put Jack Sears in the game, oh, no, watch out. This is going to be trouble. Gotcha. Uh, so you have two guys that I, I think can carry this team for long stretches if need be. And then even though you lose Matt Fink, a veteran, I think Keaton Slivers was a lot further along than any of us really expected coming in yeah. the spring. He looks so, like a baby JK. So just the, the depth chart in general, uh, top to bottom, I feel pretty good about it for them. Yeah, yeah, I I come from a maybe a little bit different place because I'm used to them having a superstar. Sure, sure. And, and maybe JK will be that, but I did not come away from last season feeling like that was next. But some people do. Uh, in my opinion, it does not stand alone. But again, I, I'm used to a guy that competes for the Heisman or yeah. has talked about you know potentially winning it. And and I don't feel like that's the conversation or the narrative right now with, with J.K. Not, not at this it, point. It's not. It's not. No. And I should acknowledge, he has a ton to prove still. And if we're halfway through next season and we're still having the same conversation. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. <laughs> then, then, then I'll definitely relent on my optimism for his upside. Yeah. Because it, it has to come through. Uh, and there's no reason why it shouldn't next year. He's, he is, has a wealth of playmakers oh, yeah. all across the field. Right. He has this simplified system that is just tailor-made to someone who – who can make decisions and get the ball out and, and throw accurate passes. Everything is set up for him to succeed. If he doesn't, then that's when I will happily recalibrate my expectations and and come off my stance that he's going to be a, a great QB here. Final point here. If JT were not on the field for whatever reason and Jack was playing, uh, I think you'd want to change the offense a little bit. And I, I think Graham would, I, very intelligent, and I feel like he would cater to him a little bit and, and it would be drawn up a little bit differently. Not, not that he can't carry out this offense, but again, just going back to practice, he does not get the ball out and, and he, maybe he's not as accurate on those intermediate throws. And uh, that's where I feel like you want to do some different things with him um, than you would with J.K. And so that I, I make that point only because... While I like the idea of an open competition, and I think that we're still unclear as to who the better quarterback is, given what we've seen from this offense, JT is the best fit for it, and that 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 should be their starting quarterback because of what they're going to do, because of what they plan to do. Because right now they didn't Graham did not come into to spring practice and, and come to USC with an offense devised for J.K. Daniels. He came in with his mm-hmm. offense. And, uh, and to that extent, they kind of had to fit in to what he wanted. And they're still doing that. I mean, he, he was not, you know, it was not all complimentary with J.K. He, he made the point that J.K. is very intelligent and that can work to his detriment at times because he'll, he'll overthink it. And he's not getting the ball out quick enough because he's trying to read too many things and look for something. And, and slowing the pace of the offense down at times yeah. in general. They want that tempo going right. non-stop every play. And, I don't think any of them ran at the tempo right. that he wants. Right. That's the vibe I got the entire time that while they were going faster than we were used to watching mm-hmm. them go at, they were never going as fast as he wanted. But in terms of the way the offense is executed beyond just the tempo, uh, the manner in which you know the quarterback plays, this is built for JK. So let's segue. We've been doing these debate of the day questions okay. that I really enjoy because 
I like to see the poll results. I'm glad you enjoy them, Ryan. I like to see I give them for you. See how everyone and votes. And some other people. I think they're really engaging questions. It leads to good discussion. And we're going to kind of build off that discussion here yeah. on the podcast. One of the recent ones was how much should USC pass? Right. I wrote it that way because I feel like I want to know what people think they should do. Uh, Clay Helkin made the point that they want to have about a 50-40 ratio, which is, I think, a, a kind of big acknowledgement you know, from someone that we've been hearing balance from for so long, which I know we can identify as 50-50, but at the very least it means that the running game is just as important as the passing game. Yeah. When you come out and say 50-40, then you are showing that hand, that, hey, we, we're packed first, and that's going to be our bread and butter. Well, here's what's interesting. You go back and look at Graham Harrell's North Texas stats from last year. Yeah. They were not that. They were 52-48. Yeah. Uh, they passed 38.8 times a game, ran 35.5. Now, he was the first to acknowledge when he got here, I didn't have guys like this in North Texas. Right. So I, I think you come in and you assess the strength of your playmakers. You say, man, this receiving core is incredible, and, and you skew things. Um but, you know, we'll see if 60-40 holds true because that, that's not been what he's been, even with a very successful quarterback in Mason Fine in North Texas. Tell me what you think they should do and tell me what you think they will do. I, I would definitely skew uh, heavy toward the pass, and, and that includes passing to the running backs. I, I would just – I would replace some run plays with, you know, quick outs to the running backs and, mm-hmm. and have that be a, a huge part of the game. But I would want to feature those receivers as much as possible. I think you told me you voted for 60-40. I did, yeah. For what Clay said. Okay. And what do you think they actually will do? I think it will be close to that. I, I do. Yeah. I do. Okay. Like, like just within, give or take, a percentage or two? Uh, I'll say... I'll no, say I mean, you don't have to give me a number. I'm saying you, you think it will be about that, give or take. You know. I think the personnel kind of dictates that. And, yeah. and, and, and I doubt that Clay formulated the 60-40 on his own. I think that that's coming from discussions. Sure. With the offensive staff and and Graham's input and feedback of what he wants to do, I think that's probably reflective of of what Graham wants to do. Yeah, I voted for throw more than sixty percent, and I think it will actually go above. Really? Yeah, uh, not by a lot though. Mm-hmm. That's what I was asking you. Maybe yeah. give or take a percent, because I think it'll be you know in that sixty-one to three range. A little bit above, but I do think it'll be that much. Uh, I, we know it won't be 50-50, yeah. right? And we, we ran a poll, and the results were, were fun because uh, I did one of the categories I put was just win, baby. Like <laughs> I figured after last year, a lot of you don't even care, right. really. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't even care how much they throw, just that they win. And that won. That, that, that garnered a 38 percent of the votes and that one but just under that was 60 40 it lost by a vote and um third place was uh was the one that i picked that they throw more than 60 percent but that only got 11 percent of the votes um and it very well could fall in like that 57 58 59 range uh, i feel like when you when you're talking about you know that part of the the ratio it's indistinguishable, really. It, it doesn't really matter either. But I'm getting the feeling that given that they don't have an obvious every-down back 
or like I guess a workhorse, I want to say, right? Like I mean, they have guys that are very versatile that can play any down, especially you know Carr and Vavai, but neither one of them have proven to be a workhorse. And I'm just not expecting either one to, to really play that role. Marquis Step looks like a workhorse, but maybe that's in the future. I don't think that's going to be 2019. And as we discussed, his pass catching limitations may hold him back ultimately. Yeah, maybe early in the season he doesn't play as much either. But uh, given that they don't have that that kind of feature back, or even like what they look ahead with Ronald Jones a couple years ago, they don't have that guy right now. I could see games where they only run 20. 25 times and if they run like 75 plays you know in, in particular games they might throw like 50 times here's the deal though I, and I could totally see that too but I would expect the run game to still be more successful just because of everything the pass game is opening up and, and all yeah, the on a per carry basis it yeah, better be yeah so uh, I think that can be a very effective ratio for, for both for both aspects of the offense right yeah the ratio doesn't really matter as much as you know the efficiency but uh, it is something interesting to talk about. And it's also another reason why I think J.T. Daniels will be their quarterback. If you're going to ask someone to throw the ball 45 times a game, and I think they're going to be pushing 40 every week, then that's, I think, made for him more than it is for Jack. I think Jack just gives you different things. And, and I might now come up or sound like I'm down on him and I'm really not. It's more that I'm looking at the big picture and what USC's doing. And, and that's why last year I kind of lobbied differently because I felt like, well, you need a guy with that offensive line and, and how much you want to you wanna run and how important it is for, for you to, to be, I guess, flexible. You want a guy that has mobility, you know, that can make plays with his legs. And, and coming off of what they were doing with Darnold, I felt like Jack maybe was a better option, you know, by the end of the year. But But – with this offense, with what we know about it in practice, I and mean, we have to watch it, of course, evolve in games. But with everything we know, it looks like you know JT is you know going to be asked to do a lot, you know, and, and that that he's a clear cut guy. I'll go back to my point again. That I, I think we're going to learn a lot more in August in general. Hopefully, we're seeing the full offense unleashed, and it's not so hyper focused on okay, we're focusing on on this. On this this spring, We're I think they're going to go faster in fall. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't think it's going to look that much different. It'll the tempo will be picked up. Uh, maybe they'll go downfield a little bit more, right? Which is something that they're both good at. Yeah, that doesn't uh, that doesn't set Jack back at all. He's a good downfield thrower as well. I I just felt this whole spring though, you could definitely make observations and takeaways, but. I don't think we were ever getting a true sense of what the full package is going to look like. No, and, and I think that's why they were comfortable rotating the reps four ways. Right. because They're the, breaking everybody in. Like I said, there, there, there was nothing to learn. There, there, there was nothing that was going to um, unequivocally separate somebody because it was just it was a very basic spring, and that, that was the point going in on both sides of the ball. And uh, – I, I agree with you on everything about JT. I think he's the guy, and we'll, and we'll see it in August. A position maybe we don't feel as good about. Oh, you know, I'm going to make one more point. Oh, I'm do sorry. it. Do yeah. it. No. It, it just came to me. A bonus point. Sometimes, you know, these little uh, wisdom bombs blow up in my yeah. mind. Yeah. With Fink leaving, it is a good thing for Jack. And, and let me tell you why. Now you're not dividing those reps. It's another guy that doesn't get him. Because 
I mean, obviously Keegan is there, and and very quickly he'll be running that scout team. But it, it means that Jack and JT are going to be maybe compared side-by-side side a little bit more than they were. I feel like for a while now, Jack and Fink were kind of to the side and maybe compared against one another. And Jack had a hard enough time separating there, and he ended up third string last fall, whether we thought he should have been or not is right. beside the point. But now, even going into the beginning of training camp, you probably will see the reps favoring those two. There will be that opportunity where you're kind of, you know, one-on-one in a way. You know, where if, if Fink would have been there, I feel like, okay, we got to divvy up the reps and we're going to give JT the most, but then we're going to give, you know, half dozen to Jack and another half dozen to Fink and... It, it can be a little bit convoluted, but I feel like now you have one less guy, more reps for everybody, but Jack really needs kind of that arena. I, I've always felt like he needed that, that kind of that one-on-one battle to have any shot, and while I don't see him dethroning JT in training camp, uh, I do feel like if he can perform at a high level... Just even per- he's really playing in some stuff there. If he can perform at a high level in training camp with a significant amount of reps, then early in the year, if JQ's having a hard time... It takes away the leash, yeah. You know that you got Jack and you love yeah. the way that he practiced in training camp when he was getting more first-team work and, and you, you had more to, to evaluate him on. I totally agree. It's a great point. The way Jack Sears plays in August will determine how long JT's leash is going there into the go. season. And how much uh, leeway he gets. So let's segue to another question we asked, and this is about the other side of the, of the field and the other side of the spectrum, an area where we are not – we have no clarity on the depth chart. We have – Hey, I did put out a projected depth chart. We have less confidence <laughs> in the depth With chart. With a bunch of guys that weren't there. What happens in the secondary? Right. I mean, okay, I, I posed the question, what was the most concerning position? Yeah. And the winner actually was offensive line. And I think that's because USC fans have been scarred, you know, for, sure. for a while now sure. by that group. And so I get it. I get why they would pick that. I, would, I did not come out of spring nearly as worried about them as I would be about the defensive backfield. To me, it would be 1A and 1B cornerback or maybe one and two. I, I shouldn't call safety one B, but it's number two. More because of the depth, health, depth, yeah, the health. depth and the health. Yeah. But uh, you like the potential there a lot more. You feel good about it even more than other spots. But given that both your main guys were were not, you know, participating in contact periods and have had health issues, and you don't even know who the backups are if if they were unavailable or just even to spell them right now. Uh, they would be number two for me, for sure. Cornerback is is number one. And uh, <laughs> so I get a projected depth chart, and I'll, I'll share this part of it, because I, I feel weird even putting certain people down there because they, they didn't even practice this spring. So at starting cornerback, I put Greg Johnson on one side, and on the other, Elijah Griffin. And we, I think we've talked about it before, but if you want to know who I think is the best cornerback on the team, 
I'm totally guessing, mm-hmm. and I'm going to guess Elijah Griffin, who I didn't even get to watch for the last few months. I don't think this is hyperbole to say that this is one of the least experienced cornerback groups in the country. It has to be. It has to be. I mean, you, you, ha- you, you have nothing tangible, nothing you know. Greg Johnson got the most run last year, and it was, it was rough, and he kind of fell out of favor. And that was that. And that's all we know about this group. The entire group. That's all we know is that Greg Johnson had a, short, game experience. a short window and struggled. Right. Um, Elijah Griffin would have had that opportunity if he was healthy all last fall. Uh, he, he got in for a little bit. He struggled too. And we never saw Taylor Stewart right. on defense. And the rest of the guys are coming in. Dominic Davis didn't play him. He's been in the program for a while now and was available and just didn't play. He played special teams, but he did not play corner. So, if I mean, you didn't ask me this question, but you asked yourself, and I'll answer too, who do you think are, are the, the best cornerbacks? I... <laughs> well, who's number one? I, th- I think Greg Johnson is going to get that chance to prove he is. Uh-huh. So whether I think he is or not, I don't know. But I think he's going to get the chance to be. So you don't even have, you don't even have a number one though. Like if you were asked to power rank the cornerbacks, right. you you leave number one vacant. Which I mean I would too. But if if I had to pick a guy, I'm going to guess Elijah. I and I, I I can see why you would given his recruiting profile and yeah and he's an well I, I like guy. the way he practices. Yeah. No, I I mean from what I've been able to observe in practice. And I, I don't have anything more to go off of with him. I, with Greg, you know, he has maybe the disadvantage of playing. That's a good way to put it. So yeah. that's why I yeah. I have him number two. I'm not going to offer a, another argument against Elijah. That's, that's probably the right answer. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. But it, it's I, it's just hard to believe that this is where it's at. And, and that's why you well, have, that's where it's at. And that's why you have USC signing eight defensive backs in one right. class because right. they don't know either. And they don't know which of these guys is going to come in and be ready to play. So they, they gave themselves a lot of options and hoping a couple hit. So who am I intrigued by? I, you know, I know recruiting rankings aren't everything, but getting Adonis OT was a nice flip at the end. He's, he's a four-star cornerback coming in, was an SEC commit, got flipped off Arkansas. I want to see how he plays. Um, I'm really high on Max Williams. I, I totally believe – and this guy's makeup, uh, he's one of the, the next up features we've done so far. So talking to his high school coach and his dad about his background and kind of get, getting to know him, I believe that he is as mentally situated to come in and contribute immediately as, as anyone. And his track record is that he's always been advanced for his age, uh, it, even going into to a, a stacked high school program at, at Sarah. He's a starter as a freshman. He's always been ready to play. Yeah, he's been characterized as refined. Yeah, and he's going to be fully healthy in August. Now, I know they want to look at him at nickel. They are. So Yeah, I, I got, when I did my depth yeah. chart, it was going off of practice, but then also conversations I had with coaches and mm-hmm, sources right. in the program, and they told me that they plan to begin him there. Now, if they need him outside, they're going to move him. They're going to play him where they need him. But the initial plan is to begin at nickel. The other curiosity I have entering August is Jalen Watson, yeah. who, who was the JUCO guy. And you you don't sign JUCO players unless you think that they can come in and contribute right away. That that they aren't. You don't sign JUCO projects. No, you, that's very logical. 
that hasn't been UFC track record of late. They've had some guys that were JUCO players that really haven't had any kind of role. Not, well, well, some have. No, but, no, there's a high hit and miss rate. Yeah. But your evaluation has to be, we think this guy can come in and help us right away. Or else you don't sign him. There's no point in investing in scholarship in the JUCO project. Yeah, and I guess I feel like sometimes I've watched them come in maybe because they needed another body. You know, but maybe if the the numbers were right, then that's what you would do. It would be only if we think he can help. Uh, but at corner, they, they need another body. And so I couldn't tell you what their logic was behind him specifically. But with USC, that's a, that's a fair point. Time, that's a fair point. Sometimes it's been, hey, we, we just don't have enough numbers at that spot f- for practice. That's a fair point. <laughs> But I hope you're right. <laughs> they, they do need another guy that can play, not just practice. And obviously, we haven't seen Jalen Watson play. Right. He had some nice stats at the JUCO level. He has nice size. Yeah. That's really all we can they tell. They brought in some tall kids. Yeah. So, but all I can tell you is who I'm most interested to watch in yeah. August to learn more about. And it's Adonis Soti, and it's, it's Jalen Watson. And then Max Williams, because we haven't seen him in the spring. Sure. Now, the other wild card is Trey Davis. We don't know where he's going to fit, but Clay was so high on him on signing day. Yeah. He, he, uh, he had his lines about everyone, but that was the guy that he just, he went all in on with, with, with the hype and the praise and the, this, this guy is a, is a total steal for us and this and that. And here again, that's all I have to go off of, but if they're that high on him and he's so versatile that he can play anywhere in the secondary – Maybe he he finds his way into that competition. I believe Brian Ellis offered him. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard mixed reviews uh, on that front. But uh, right now, it, it will be open competition. It, it, we're talking about meeting open competition, You know, maybe at quarterback. Well, you're going to get one at cornerback for sure. I don't think it was all bad in spring, though. In fact, I, I mean, I kind of expected it to be really rough. And at times, they definitely got worked, and they're going to. I mean, these are high-caliber receivers. Even if if you had veteran corners, I feel like Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ra and even Devin Williams are going to make you work and, and make you look bad at times. But I did feel like you saw real tangible improvement from Isaac Taylor-Stewart, yeah. who to me a year ago just looked lost. And it... it it made me wonder if he was a corner. And I got something that I'd heard also from other people where they weren't sure if he would play corner. Well, I like the way that he competed. And I feel like you know he's probably going to have to play this year, and I don't know that that would necessarily be a bad thing at all. I, I mean, there's still room to grow, of course, but um, I felt like he, uh, he gave him good reps. And then, real quick here, uh, I felt like Greg Johnson... Uh, was pretty consistent, pretty reliable, and he came in to spring under unusual circumstances, to say the least, and that could have gone a lot of different ways, and by the end of it, Clancy was touting him as one of the leaders on the defense, and I feel like they are happy with where he's at, and again, you know, comparatively, they didn't have nearly enough people to work with and maybe the the, the quality that they want. But uh, with who they had out there, um, I felt like there was a good fight in them. 
You know, and, and I guess that's all you can ask for at, at this present time. That's totally fair. Here's the deal, though, for me. I thought where they looked best were in the red zone drills or in the, yeah. the situational things. And I don't think we saw enough of just a free-flowing, yeah. uh, full offensive attack. I, I don't know how well right. Isaac Taylor Stewart is going to de- defend the guy downfield. I just I, I didn't see enough of it. Yeah. Now I saw a lot of great red zone reps where he he competed with Michael Pittman and Devin he's a big Williams. guy. He's and, probably and, comfortable in that. And had some he had some good some good techniques some some good positioning. He seemed confident in those settings. Yeah. But that's just one facet of it. Sure, you're, so, you're right. It's a great point. In fact, if you do think about the downfield reps that were there, and there weren't a lot, but. Typically, J.K. and Jack did pretty well. They made up pretty well when, when they went downfield. And it, I, I feel like they were probably advised not to do that because it, it didn't really <laughs> benefit anyone. When I asked Michael Pittman halfway through spring about the lack of downfield reps, he said, as he always does very candidly, yeah. was, I mean, we could go downfield every time and make the play, yeah. but what's, what's that proven? Right. Like, we're, not, we're not learning anything from that. Like it, to him, it was no. He's right, and and it, it, it is right. Yeah, so that's why we didn't see it. But because of that, I don't think that I learned enough about even the guys who were active to have any strong opinions on who's going to be good in the secondary. I just don't know yet. No, I I don't either. I really don't. But um, my feeling right now is that I mean, if they had a game right now, then. Greg would start. Elijah wouldn't even be available yet. He was coming back and I think getting close, but you know he, he wasn't in full pads or anything. He was just doing some individual stuff. But uh, Greg could be a uh, a reliable guy. I see a scenario though for Max Williams where Nickel is not their most pressing need. Yeah, and he really impresses in August, and and he gets maybe reassigned. To the outside, and for sure, he, he's five nine, maybe, and and that's why they might prefer him at nickel. But in terms of who he'd be competing with, Chase Williams was their best defensive back. I mean, he he's playing the nickel right yeah. now. They yeah. move him around, and they will play him at safety if they have to. In fact, they've already made that point that you know if Hufunga or Polamau went down again then you're going to see Chase move to safety. That's what's going to happen. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, too, that, that Clancy even said that our nickel package is a three-safety package. Right. That's kind of the way... Like they, they already view him as a safety. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I, that's why I think there's still a chance that Max Williams enters that competition. But I understand his height is a factor, and I know they want... No, no, I, I'm agreeing with you, though. Uh, if, if Chase is on the field at, at nickel, then and then Max is... Capable, then I could see him going outside. I, I could foresee Max and Elijah Griffin being a corners or maybe a bit of a rotation. I think it's probably going to be open for a while. One of those competitions that will bleed into the season. I don't think that it's all going to be established by game one. No yeah. way. Um, I, mean, I should probably offer some background on why I'm so high on Max Williams. If you didn't read our feature story on him, part of our Next Up series, I had just had a great conversation with his high school coach at Sarah. And it wasn't just, you know, coach speak platitudes. It was tangible anecdotes about what set him apart and how this guy just attacked film study. And they go into practice, and the coaches would, would say, you know, 
if this guy happens to go in the slot on this play and Max would go, he's done it nine times this season and seven of them he did this. Like he just devoured film study. He was always the most prepared guy on the field and had great anticipatory skills. He knew how to, how to bait opposing quarterbacks. He, he, he knew how to read play. His high school coach said, we played one team who was complaining that we were stealing their signals and we weren't. Max just was, was reading their defense <laughs> on the fly, their offense on the fly and knew what was coming. So he's a very cerebral guy, and even if he's not the biggest guy, he's managed to always be a step ahead to this point. And those are, those are guys I like at that spot. I, I like smart, cerebral, anticipatory cornerbacks who know how to trick a quarterback, who know how to be ahead, ahead of the things instead of reactionary, and that's why I'm so high on him. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, go back and read our story. But... um. That's that's really my basis of, of understanding of, of what this guy is and what he can be. Yeah, yeah, I, I've heard good things. I mean, again, I really wait to judge or evaluate until they get here and they're on the practice field. And I, although he was out there, it was you know in a no, limited he, capacity. He, he was rehabbing, yeah. Yeah, but the people I've talked to about him are all really high on him and and believe in him. You know, and they it's really I mean, he is small. There's really no getting around it, but that's not atypical for a corner. Uh, even today, even where corners are bigger, there's still guys that, that look like him that are very good, and uh, and I know that people expect him to, to come here and be a good player. Uh, will he do it right away? I don't know. They, they could use it, though. It, it is open for him. Uh, and that's what's interesting about that position is that you know if I'm betting on guys... I'm probably betting more on a guy like him and Elijah Griffin, neither of which have done anything yet. I'm going to agree with you, though. I think the scenario you have to root for as a USC fan or hope for is that Elijah Griffin's ready. He's been in the program for yeah. a year. you got to hope that he's healthy and that he's ready and that he is everything that he was promised to be when he came here and that he's ready to step in and show that. That's the best-case scenario for them because even with – the more upside guys in this class, like Adonis Oti, he's going to be a true freshman going through his first practices in college. It, there is value to having a year of experience, even if it wasn't game experience. So if Greg Johnson and Elijah Griffin aren't your two corners, then Oof. it's not ideal because you'd want your most experienced guys to be that. And even though Isaac Taylor Stewart was here uh, – you, you hinted at it, the coaches have acknowledged that his technique still has a ways to go. He's still a bit of a project, but definitely showing signs of encouragement and, and promise. But those two guys are the ones you have to hope uh, really show they deserve that job this summer. Yeah, with Taylor Stewart, I feel like his athleticism really showed up. We knew that coming in when he, when he got here that he was a great athlete, but do you remember that last fall? I mean, I don't feel like he, you know, he... Like you, like you didn't notice him at all. I never call him at all from yeah. last fall. Yeah, but I and I know it was different with the reps and everything. But I feel like he was using that, and he gave those big receivers a hard time, like you mentioned in the red zone, even in one on ones. They would go downfield in one on ones, maybe not in eleven on eleven, and uh, he would get the best of a couple of the you know the the bigger receivers, and sometimes they would get him. They went back and forth, but I feel like he showed up. Yeah, and again, like those are drills, though, where you know what's coming. You do, you do. And and a huge part of that position is 
not being caught by surprise, yeah. caught flat-footed, caught off guard, and being in position when you don't know what's coming. Right. And, and, and that's, that's the reason I make that point that You're right. I can't take too much away from any of that because yeah. it's so different. No, totally fair. And hopefully training camp will, will be a, maybe a, a better challenge for them as well. You know, I feel like the receivers were kind of robbed away in the spring, but I think the the corners need to be pushed as well in that way with with those reps, with the live reps in training camp, and uh, finally Greg Johnson. I I thought accorded himself pretty well. Um, I, I picked Chase Williams as the top corner, or I I count him as part of the cornerback group, but Greg was good too. Uh, and I didn't know how it would go for him. It wasn't a foregone conclusion just because that he was the veteran of the group that that he would perform well. I'm sure he has a lot on his mind, and it's been kind of you know maybe even weird at times for him. But uh, I, I thought that he went out there and, and looked very comfortable, and he made some plays. He had a couple picks. Um, I didn't see him getting beat a lot downfield when they did do it. Um, and and he was also a good athlete. You know, he's someone that came in that. You know, uh, I felt like could maybe be utilized differently if they needed another guy on offense or in the return game, and, and that it never came to fruition. But he has experience doing that, and if he's only going to play corner, that's fine. But right now, then let's see if if that's what he could do and and be you know at least a rotational guy there. And I felt like the way he performed in spring showed that he he's further along than he was. Last fall, it, it, it's definitely going to be the story of August, though that position group and that battle and that competition. Yeah. Uh, the focus kind of shifts now from the quarterbacks to the cornerbacks and the, the DBs in general. Right. So we'll, it'll be fun to learn a lot more about these guys at that time and, and to see them all in action and to have something more to go off of than recruiting rankings and anecdotal evidence. Uh, until then, all we can do is speculate and and kind of put forth a best case scenario. Yeah. So it was not a disaster, but it, it's to be determined. It's definitely to be determined. Yeah. Did you have any other depth chart takeaways? Hmm. I'm still interested to see how they maximize all the linebackers. And, yeah. And, and, and whether some guys who are moved inside move back outside, how Iosefa is, uh, is uh, deployed. Right. Well, okay. So I, I brought that up to Clay, and we only saw Osefa playing middle. You know, him and Houston were rotating, and my feeling was that in the fall, or really it's summer, but training camp, fall camp, we might see Jordan move back outside, especially because at Sam linebacker where he came from. You have a lot of young, promising guys, but no one solidified there to begin with. Iosef was in his final year. John Houston in his final year. They're recognized or regarded as knowing the defense better than everybody else. So I figured you probably want to play both of them. I'm not necessarily advocating that, but that's kind of what I figured that they would do. It's a logical conclusion. Right. But when asked about it, he kind of indicated that no, that Jordan, and we like the competition there, and we like that they know all the calls, and that they could both quarterback our defense. That's the term that he used. And therefore, 
Uh, he, I, he didn't say it explicitly, but he indicated that Ayosefa would remain at middle linebacker. Do you think that that's the case, and what do you think about him doing that? I, th- I think that everything is, uh, is tenuous and will be adjusted by need uh-huh. in August. And so you're not so convinced that he'll just be the backup middle linebacker or no. that he could beat out Houston and that they'll both be middle linebackers? No, because it's going to come down to how confident they feel in the younger guys on the outside. Yeah. And if they feel they're really getting everything they want out of that spot, and if they don't get to that point, it's, just, it's very easy to say, okay, Jordan, go, go back there. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, you're not going to move Houston outside. He hasn't played there the entire time he's been inside right, USC. Right. But the more I thought about it, I actually understood why they would keep both of them there, like permanently. Both of them have have had you know they've had a, a star a starting role right a prominent role, and neither of them have proven that they should be on the field every play. That's fair. So I kind of like the idea of them both being a middle linebacker and... A, a timeshare. Yeah, platooning. Yeah. And, and unless one guy shows that he's clearly better than the other, but they haven't. They, I don't think they did that in practice either. I, I think you're totally right. I mean, I mean, clearly, when you have a Cam Smith, you want him out there every snap. You, you just want that security and safety blanket. But... You, I don't feel that way about either of those guys. Um, I do think John Houston looked pretty good this spring to me. Yeah, and he was better, especially for as much as he is maligned by the fan base and how people have questioned this move into that spot. Um, I, I think there's good potential for him, but it's unproven still. Yeah. He, he's not a, a surefire star at that position. So that's a great point you make. Uh, when well, they, they kind of do different things, right? Like their strengths. Are, are different and their weaknesses are different. They kind of make up one maybe potentially great player together. Uh, I think they might be a bit incomplete individually. Um, perhaps one of them has a breakout year in senior year. I'm not discounting that. We've seen it in the past. Mm-hmm. A couple years back, Michael Hutchings got that, that middle linebacking role after really being quiet for a couple years in his career and, and had, a I think, a very good senior year. In fact, he got the Mike spot, and Cam had to move from Mike to the weak side. So, you know, none of this is fully determined yet, but uh, the more I thought about it, I feel like, okay, like I, I'm, I'm down the roll of that. Now that you mention it, and just hearing on the fly, I'm sure that was exactly their motivation or, or thought process. That makes total sense to me. Really, it it does. Uh, yeah, it's, that's a great point, and and an obvious explanation for why you would do that. Yeah, so I know people have questions about why EA, or uh, I mean, he's EA. I think everyone knows who I'm talking about, but Paula EA now okay, okay. I'm just showing off right there. Flex, uh, flexing. <laughs> weird flex, by the way. Okay, <laughs> people wonder why isn't he at middle, and I get that there is maybe more prestige attached to that position. But from what I can tell, he really fits where he's at. He's able to kind of freelance a little bit more. Uh, They use that guy, I think, to rush the quarterback a little bit more. Um, He'll be in coverage. 
his responsibilities are, are in a way greater, uh, aside from having to make the call, right? I think he's asked to do a, a, a wider variety of things, and he can do it. I think he's a more athletic, versatile player. And so I do think in this scheme, um, he probably is a better fit for a weak side, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether they're playing middle or weak side. Like That M or W attached to their their name is, I think, irrelevant. Yeah, I think definitely too much emphasis is placed on the title and, and not really looking at what they're doing. And you know, talking to him all spring, he seems to really embrace it and like it. Um, yeah. I think he even used the phrase that, that it, he feels it frees him up a little bit. Yeah, that's and, exactly what he said. So that's I, what I saw in practice. Yeah, he looked free. I, I mean, he's one of their best defensive playmakers, hands down, and that's not going to be muted by being this spot versus this spot. He, he's going to be a pronounced factor on that defense this fall. A couple of the questions that we've been asking on our message board in recent weeks is who will lead the team in tackles and who will lead the team in interceptions or sacks. EA could do any of those. You know, I, I don't know that he'll pull off the trifecta or anything, but I do think that he's a guy that will be involved in all of that. And I think part of that is probably because of where he'll be playing and how he'll be used. Yeah, I, I think everyone looked at that change as saying, why couldn't the coaching staff get him ready to be a middle linebacker? That's an indictment on the coaching staff. Or as maybe they just made an assessment that we can maximize his strengths here just as well, if not better. Yeah, Clancy did say that he felt like EA had been diagnosing plays much better this spring than he had in the fall. So I think there's a lot of improvement there. And uh, and if he's not ready, then don't don't force it. Yeah, you know. I, I thought one of your best pieces this spring was your EA and Drake kind of the oh, yeah. the future of USC defense thing. It, it's 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 so easy to see that. And we talked about Drake at length last podcast. So we don't have to go over all that. But I I believe I buy into that one hundred percent that those two guys are going to emerge quickly and and be prominent factors for years to come now. Yeah, I mean, I think the larger picture here with the defense, and it really pertains to two of them, is that it it seems like Clancy has rewritten some things for his personnel. It, for a while, it just seemed like they were going to do what they what he believes in and what he's always been doing, and the guy had to fit into that position, uh, wh- whether they did or not. They were going to just play it. And I felt like that's why you saw some very unproductive players because they were either miscast or they were over-trusted, but it didn't really, like what they were being asked to do didn't really suit what they were good at. But with Drake playing on the edge as, you know, a fourth down lineman, uh, outside linebacker, it's a hybrid position, but it's definitely different than the Predator. It's different than what Porter Gustin was doing. Uh, to me, they've... They've reconfigured things where that's why they're they've moved away from the two down linemen, you know, the two four, which he'll call it four two, but the two outside guys would maybe both be standing up and they weren't really threats, you know, to to beat the, the tackle off the line of scrimmage or the tight end. Well now you throw Christian Rector on one end and Drake Jackson and that's a lot to deal with on the outside. 
you know, or and then you even could have another outside backer there, and maybe Hunter Eccles or, or Elijah Winston or EA. I just like what they're doing. I, I think to me, uh, it looks different than it did last year, and I feel like people like Drake and EA uh, are are a reason for that. I feel like Clancy's actually taking notice of that and and realize, okay, this, this is how I want to change things because of the skill sets of, of guys like this. And that defensive front is going to have to be great. Yeah. Not, not just good, but great. Yeah. This defense to be serviceable. It's, it's going to have, it's going to have to set the tone. That's probably another reason why things are changing too. Yeah. We, we need them to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. But the potential is there. You can, you can see it. You can, you can see the scenario where the defense can function with that being the emphasis and, and the lead and the tone setter. Yeah, and EA and Drake, <laughs> they uh, they might be special, right? I'm, I'm not going to just say that they are yet, but they they look like it. They look like they will be. I I could see this defense. I, I've made this point before, and I know it probably caught some people off guard. I think it could be better than last year, and I, I know that I feel like I have to be qualified in different ways, but uh, I feel like the the ceiling's higher because of guys like EA and Drake. There's more variables, but yeah, definitely possible. Um, I am going to drop our Drake Jackson feature this week, and I had a great talk with his dad, kind of at the end of spring practice, and he shared a story with me of of Clancy coming over to him during practice, not after practice, like like after like a rep during practice, coming over to Drake Jackson's dad and saying, "This guy's going to be three and done. This this guy's a, <laughs> he's incredible." And I said, "How how deep in the practice was that?" He goes, first week." <laughs> so I, I I mean Clay has said it. Clancy said it to us. Yeah. I, I talked to EA last right. week and was not asking about that, just more about the fact that they're roommates. Yeah. Drake and EA are roommates, and yeah. we asked, you know, why do you think you were put with him? And he said, well, you know, that guy's special, and he, he's a first-round talent, and he'll be three and done. You can tell the difference between coaches praising players and coaches marveling at players. Yeah. And it's been so consistent and clear with Drake, and we already know that EA has that potential. Uh, when you when you have two of those guys, that can that can be enough to to shape an entire defense. It, it, right. When you have, that's what I'm getting at. When you have true difference makers like that that other teams just don't have. Right. It 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 offsets a lot of other things. Yeah. And it, it really it really rises above and becomes your identity. Right. And, I mean, if you deploy both of them off the edge, <laughs> good luck with yeah. that. I, 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 that's why I really think that this front seven can make this defense better because of the talent there with, with those guys. But we still have to see what happens in the secondary. No, I know. Well, it, it, so in college football, it's so different than the NFL, where if you do have a dominant front, then it can neutralize yeah. a poor secondary. It, it won't completely eliminate and that's the, hope the issues sure. there, yeah. Yeah. but it can minimize it. But we we just we have no gauge yet for what they're working with in the back. So <laughs> it, it's hard to know what you're offsetting until you until you have a better sense for it. Right. So talking about 
EA and Drake is a good segue to our final topic. Our final topic. Um, we are taping this on Wednesday afternoon. The Wednesday debate of the day was... Who is USC's most underrated player? And who were the, the candidates you threw up there for us? So I pick people that I know are either heavily criticized or just not talked about as much as maybe people around them, despite them having a prominent role on the team. So I didn't really involve people who really are, are suited to be, like, are, are right now in position as a backup or haven't played or, you know, it, it's meant to be people that are, you know, in that, are competing for a starting job or have a starting job that we know something about. And the people I included were both quarterbacks JT Daniels and Jack Sears, Bavai Molapei, Tyler Vons, Andrew Voorhees, Marlon Tuipoloku, John Houston, Isaiah Polamau. And then I also allowed for writing votes because, you know, not everyone sees everything the way I do. That's fine. So, as of right now, this vote is still very active, but. Your winner is Vivai Malapai. Interesting. Which I, I understand that pick. And yet, to me, Vi is properly, properly rated. rated. Yeah, right. He, that, it wasn't my pick. Right. I, I actually think he's properly rated, but uh, I think people can depend on him. They can rely on him. They feel safe with him. And I, maybe because there's so much instability elsewhere, they feel like, that, that guy's underrated just because of his... Everyone's talking about Carr reliability. And, yeah. and Step. Uh-huh. I, I think the role that Vi played last year is the role he should play. Yeah, me too. I, yeah, he's not someone that's criticized, but he's just not talked about a lot. Right. The other guys are maybe talked about more at running back. Who did you vote for? Uh, Marlon. Tweepolotu. Okay. Uh, and just the, the nature of that position is... Marlon came in second, by the way. Well, there you go. The, the nature of that position is prone to being underrated or overlooked because... It's not always about stats or numbers. Uh, you're kind of he's doing the dirty work up front, and it's very important. It's very important to have that guy. And we heard the coaches praise him this spring. You wrote a nice piece about him this spring, about how he can be an X factor for them up there. I, I just think he's a guy that's not talked about, that's not going to create buzz, that could be integral to, to the tone they set at the last scrimmage. Yeah, I, I know that Coach... Chad K is really high on him and really believes that he's kind of the X factor for the run defense and uh, and is confident that he'll perform well in that regard. I picked Isaiah Polamau, who I debated including because I think most people have a pretty good impression of him, but he has played really only one full game. He played really well in it, but uh, I think there are still questions there given his health issues. And I also feel like I think he's going to be a really good player, and therefore I don't hear him being talked about the way I do Talanoa Hufunga. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, that's fair. Talanoa is regarded as a future star, right? and I understand that. I think Talanoa is going to be great. But I also think Pull Out can be great with him. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't really get spoken on those terms. So that's who I picked, but I'm not going to sit here and, and debate that one. I, I think that there are reasons to pick any of these guys. What I found funny was uh, 
some of the writing votes uh, that have been thrown out there already were center Brett Nealon, defensive tackle Jay Cufelli, and then offensive tackle Austin Jackson. I think all those guys are are pretty well supported by fans. Right? I mean, Nealon hasn't played much, but everyone's behind him because Toe is not snapping anymore. So, just the fact that they think he's a better snapper, and he's looked like it in practice for sure. No one has a higher approval rating on the team right, right. than Brett Nealon. Yeah, he, so there's no one doubting him right now. So that, that's why I didn't include him. Yeah. But if your argument is that you know his value to the team would be underrated just for, fact that, for the fact that he could snap better, then sure, I, I understand that logic, but... Um, his approval rating is very high. I, I was thinking more in terms of yeah. approval rating. Um, uh, the, the one thing on Tufeli, I did feel that he was maybe underused last year. For sure. Maybe underrated and, by the coaching yeah, staff. Yeah, and so, so, so that, that could be a factor that's coming I don't know any people you know on our message board or anyone yeah. I talked to that underrated Jake Tufeli. He made all Pac-12 second team. He didn't even start. Yeah. He made his presence felt on special teams, so, on defense. Clancy underrated him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe maybe that was Clancy's vote, his write-in vote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Austin Jackson, I feel like, uh, it, I don't know, I think most people think well of him. But he has a lot to prove. He's someone that maybe hopes are high but has to prove it. There's a lot of hope and optimism that yeah. he, he takes that next step and becomes the anchor of that line for sure. Yeah. It, it, he didn't come to mind for me because I think well of him. I'm mm-hmm. expecting him to play well this year. But maybe maybe most people don't. I don't. I guess I don't really have as good of a pulse on the general fan base on Austin Jackson. But I guess I figured that most people felt like he'll probably be good. Maybe he hasn't yet. He was very young and, you know, started as a, a true sophomore. But now going in as a, a true junior, we believe that he'll be good. I want to throw one bonus question at you. This, this kind of just came up, spur of the moment on me. Uh-oh. It ties together a few themes we've talked about. Uh, it plays off your pull mal vote um, and our entire secondary conversation. Okay. If I were to ask you, what is the one thing that USC should hope happens for its defense? I would say that the two safeties stay healthy. Is there anything you would put above that? Anything that's more important to this defense than Hufanga and Polamau staying healthy? I feel like it's boring to just agree with you, but I don't have a better position than that. I think that both of them have really high upside, and I think they're both ripe. It's not just like, well, they were big prospects, and and we know that one day they could be good. No, I think that they're good now. I think if they're on the field, they're both going to be really good. But the moment one of them is not on the field, then I have no idea how whoever would take their place would perform. And that's why you said it's not a 1A, 1B thing with corner and safety, but it is a very clear one, too, because that if is, is ever-present. And if those guys go down, that position is as much uh, uncertainty and guess and concern. As cornerback. As cornerback. With, without one of them or without both of them especially. And, and you can say that for any spot. In fact, if both of them were out, then it would be an even bigger question mark than corner. Yeah, and you can, you can always say, well, if someone goes down, but it's an ever-present 
concern with those two given their injury histories. And you just have to really hope that that does not come into play for this this team because they can really solidify – that spot can go from truly solidified and, and high potential to – the complete opposite. Well, there's a domino effect because if one of them goes down, and like I mentioned earlier, Chase Williams moves w- to safety, moves, and then then you don't know who your nickel is. Yep. And and you you're not deep at corner. You really want all your best guys to be out there, and we are still trying to identify who the top guys are in that defensive backfield. But we know that the two best guys out of the entire group are Hufunga and Polamau. Yes. And if they're both out there then I agree. I think that that can keep your defense afloat because you do have enough depth, I think, in the front seven. And I think the front seven can be really good. Uh, and even if one guy went down, I think you're, you're probably able to withstand that throughout the front seven. I mean, even when we talked about middle linebacker, if John Houston went down, then okay, Jordan Allen's stuff is ready. Yep. Or if EA went to middle linebacker and you know someone else played weak side, I think they're going to be fine. But you lose one of these safeties, and then it gets scary. For sure. In fact, I included Walk on Jordan McMillan in the depth chart because he's in the depth chart. He he'll play. He has to be. Yeah. 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 I think right now he's lined up to play. Maybe like that Matt Lopes role from a couple years ago. But he would he would play more if if one of these guys went down. I think right now he's you know backup, but. Right now, I think that he's second string, and you know, again, Chase would go there first, but I could see Jordan McMillan having a you know an important role if if one of your top guys gets injured, and he's done very well in practice, but they're thin. They're they're really thin at safety. They they have fewer options as well. Where maybe the the front line guys were a bigger question mark at corner, but the you don't even know who the backup guard is safety. Yeah, we didn't mention Pollard at all. He he was hurt. He's also. been out. Yeah, he's been out. Uh, Britton Allen showed some promise this spring, bouncing between safety and corner. He'll be at safety. But yeah, it's if if those two stay healthy, it's a major head start for this defense. Yeah, that that's kind of what USC football is right now, where you could see things breaking in a lot of different directions. And I think that there's a roadmap to a really good season. But, you know, it, a lot of things have to go right. And uh, and there are, too, there are too many questions, you know, to, to answer right now coming out of spring. Um, I did feel like it was very productive. I think that they were, for the most part, pretty healthy. Uh, Hufunga was, was a loss. But I actually talked to him last week, and he reaffirmed that, you know, he, he's down but not out, you know, and he, he's f- fully expected to be back before the beginning of training camp. And I, I mentioned before that the way that break that break was defined. Clean break. Yeah, it was a clean break, and the, it should heal better. You know, I'm going to step aside right now and go let Keyshawn Johnson into Heritage Hall because he's standing out there. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, if they're healthy, they'll be a good team. Well, that's, uh, that's all we have to cover today. Um, Adam is going to have some more spring follow-up stuff. He's going to go through each position group and deliver his grade for the spring, where things stand. Obviously, we went pretty in-depth on a few of those today, but uh, I say it every time. I believe it. It's, uh, 
unparalleled analysis you get from him on this beat. So look for that. Uh, we're keeping Trojansports.com flush every day, even though spring practice is over. We're going to have a recruiting podcast here in the next week or so. So stay with us. Plenty more coming. And thank you for listening, as always.